Uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast on this Friday, October 23rd edition. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, the uh, cold weather's moving in. That must mean Iowa State's coming to town. Yeah, that uh, I, I think Oklahoma State fans, those who are fortunate enough to go to the games, might actually get lucky the next couple weeks because it's miserable today. I think it's supposed to be nice tomorrow. And it's going to be miserable for several more days. And then I think it's going to be nice again next Saturday for the Halloween game against Texas if the forecast holds. So uh, Oklahoma State fans might get lucky and get decent Saturday afternoon weather pinched in the middle of a whole bunch of freezing north winds. Yeah, it's uh, it's gnarly here in Oklahoma City. The wind is howling. So uh, you're going to want to go to Chris's University Spirit and get you a sweatshirt. Colby, this was essential wear when I was in college. Mm -hmm. I don't really know where my sweatshirts are anymore. I, I think I, you know, when it gets warm, I kind of pack all the winter stuff away. So I, I might have to go to chrisuniversityspirit.com and order me another OSU sweatshirt. I can't, I can't find any of my cold weather gear. Yeah, I had one that I got in college at Chris's that I loved, and I don't know where it is now. I need to look in the bottom of some of these drawers and try to dig it out. It's been a while since I've had any of the uh, sweatshirts or anything out, so I need to do some digging. I'm a big fan of just the 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 scripted just oklahoma state on the sweatshirt they have some of those yep that's mine they, they have the uh this was a classic in college the the uh save the earth except norman sweatshirt they have that oh, in stock as well i haven't seen that one that's brilliant it's, it's pretty great and uh so yeah go to chrisuniversityspirit.com and, and get you your cold weather gear because i know it's gonna be nice on game day but walking to class and walking around town wherever you may live uh, you're gonna need to bundle up here soon because winter is coming so we appreciate chris university spirit go shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com without further ado let's get to the first five colby uh, obviously iowa state we've talked about it it's a massive game it's kind of a line in the sand game for osu season let's start talking about osu's quarterback situation and i have found it very interesting colby that the school itself Mike Gundy himself, Tylen Wallace, the, the company line is we're comfortable playing both these guys. It's not, you know, Spencer's back. He's our guy. It's it's turned into a situation where the school is actually promoting the fact that, you know, kind of a controversy, not really a controversy per se, more as we're comfortable playing both rather than Spencer's the guy. Have you kind of I've kind of raised my eyebrows, Colby, just the, the company lines coming out of Stillwater referring to two quarterback system. Yeah, the, the way that they're talking about it really makes me think that they just want Iowa State to have to prepare for two guys and that they're not actually going to be in some sort of 50-50 split. Now, do I think Illingworth will get some snaps? Maybe. But if I had to guess, I'd say he probably gets less than five total snaps in the game. I, I really think if you wanted to utilize some sort of true two-quarterback system, I, I don't think that the strategy is to come out and tell the whole world, that that's what you're going to do. And yeah, if we have a third and seven, we're going to have Ellingworth out there, but if it's third and six, we might put Sanders out there. And, and obviously they haven't been that specific, but I just don't think that you would go out and be that open about the two QB system. If you didn't just want Iowa state to have to prepare for both. So like I said, I think Ellingworth gets a few snaps, but I don't anticipate, you know, if there's 70 offensive snaps, I don't anticipate Ellingworth getting 30. Isn't that stupid though? Like, are they really like, if they just play Sanders the whole game, did they waste 
practice time worrying about Shane Illingworth. Like, give me a break. This this drives me crazy about coaches. Like, and Lincoln Riley's the same. Lincoln Riley might be worse about it. In fact, he thinks if he offers up literally any information at all, it's going to cost his team the game. Which, I'm sorry, like Iowa State knows how to defend a non-mobile quarterback, and they know what Spencer Sanders can do. It's not like they have to reinvent the wheel because. Gundy's come out and said he's willing to play both like I to me it's just I, I don't get the paranoia from coaches and how they think well if I if I come out and say Spencer Sanders our quarterback then they don't they don't have to worry about this true freshman quarterback who's played in three games like I don't know they just just a pet peeve of mine with college football coaches yeah the paranoia it just it doesn't make much sense it didn't used to exist as much maybe it's because now you know, so much information is readily available in the palm of our hands. So they know if somebody gets something on them, then it's going to spread like wildfire. But I I mean, what is anybody going to learn about you during the week that's going to supersede what they see on film? Because what you actually do in the game on the field, that's who you are as a football team, not what you do, you know, Sunday through Friday, what you do on Saturday is who you are as a football team. And that's, that's what everybody's going to prepare with. So I don't know. It it doesn't make a ton of sense to me either. But yeah, college and by the way, college football coaches way more paranoid than NFL coaches. Way more paranoid. Oh, not even close. I mean, you go you can go watch every single practice in the NFL. I mean, it's it's night yeah. and day. Yeah. Uh, so you don't so Colby, you don't think there's anything to this in terms of Gundy seeing something he really liked with Illingworth and didn't maybe hasn't maybe liked what he's seen from Sanders in his career with the turnovers. You don't, you don't think there's any chance that Gundy's just itching to play Illingworth over, over Sanders. Oh, it's possible, but I really, I just don't think Illingworth did nearly enough to win the job. I, I mean, honestly, in my opinion, not even close. I, 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 and, and maybe that's just me and the absolute disrespect that I have for Kansas football, but I throw that game completely out. And I look at a guy who in five quarters was fine. He was fine. He, he, made, he threw a couple of fades against Tulsa to Thailan. Against West Virginia, he was just okay. But he was okay enough that in the third quarter, we saw in our time Mike Gundy get on the mic and say, run the ball and throw it sideways, please. <laughs> that, you know, I, I don't think a couple of bombs to receivers who literally were not being guarded against Kansas by any means has elevated him up the depth chart. I completely agree. I think he was serviceable, but I do think people are getting a little carried away with the notion that Illingworth just throws the ball better than Sanders. I, I just, and again, I, I, I think Illingworth did a good job. You said it well, he did a good job. He threw to open receivers. He managed the game and there's a ceiling with that managing the game. Oklahoma state schedule is about to get brutally tough. You can't just have a game manager in there against Oklahoma. You can't have just a game manager in there against Iowa State's defense who will actually tackle you. OSU, OSU's ceiling this season has to have Spencer Sanders in a quarterback. He takes their offense to a different level with, with his experience, obviously with his legs. And he's like, I know Sanders had the turnover issues, Colby, but go back to that, that game against Texas and Austin where he was throwing some frozen ropes to Braden Johnson deep. I mean, he played outstanding in that game. And I thought if, if Gundy had let him cook, a la let Russ cook, they might have won that game. But he started handing it off to, to finish that game. So I, I'm with you. I think Illingworth's done a great job for a kid who hasn't played against 
the softest part of their schedule. Their, their season rests on the shoulders of Spencer Sanders. Yeah, so I, mean, I, think, I, I think he's the guy, and I think they're just playing games. Yeah, I agree, but I, I think you brought up a good point that the schedule is really about to ramp up. And you know another thing that Shane Illingworth has never seen that Spencer Sanders has is Iowa State's three-man front, drop eight. You've got to find holes. You've got to know where guys are open because you've seen that defense. You've experienced it. You know what it's like. Also, the dual threat of Sanders is going to be a big help against that defense that Iowa State runs. So I, I fully expect – Spencer Sanders to take 95% of the offensive snaps tomorrow, obviously barring injury. Uh, I think we could see Shane Ellingworth come in for a few here and there. But again, if he does come in, does Iowa State all of a sudden now assume that it's either going to be a run or a deep ball? I mean, are you bringing him in to run a six-yard slant? Because Spencer Sanders can make that throw easy. Not that he can't make the deep ball throw, but I just – I'm trying to see the added bonus – to bringing Illingworth in as kind of your off-speed pitch because pure pocket passers usually aren't the off-speed pitch. It's usually the J.W. Walsh's and Blake Bell's of the world. Sure, no doubt. So it's it's going to be fascinating. I think we're on the same page, though. So let's let's shift over to the the OSU defense, Colby. We've, we've sung their praises all year. Really their biggest test by far going up against Brees Hall, one of the best running backs in the Big 12, and Charlie Kolar, who is just – I think he's George Kittle-esque, uh, another kid from Norman, just like George Kittle, six foot six, and obviously Brock Purdy, who has a long history against OSU, coming in as a, a true freshman, which we were kind of discussing before the before the podcast. But I wanted to read this stat, and then we, we can get into that. I read it on the last pod, the stat Caden McFarlane had, and it's ten games prior to last season's matchup with Iowa State. Oklahoma State's defense was allowing thirty four point nine points per game. 500 yards per game and 6.7 yards per play in the nine games since Iowa state they're averaging giving up 18.3 points per game 350 yards and five yards per play so that's amazing and friend of the show Adam Lunt my uh my fraternity brother who does a really good job with his his podcast uh, the tape doesn't lie podcast where he he gets way more into the x's and o's than, than we do and he, he knows a lot about football and I would encourage if you're a football nut, go listen to Adam because he, he really breaks it down well. And he commented on this stat and says, after getting torched by Baylor, Jim Knowles bailed on quarters for good, for good it seems. Iowa State was the next game. He shifted to different variations of cover one slash three. Results have been promising. So it sounds like in layman's terms, Colby, when they got lit by Baylor, just giving up five, six, seven huge plays to blow that game open, Knowles realized he couldn't play a certain type of defense. And since then, they've been absolutely lights out based on those numbers. Yes, but uh, obviously you make that adjustment. It works against Iowa State. You get the three fourth quarter interceptions, including the pick six by Malcolm Rodriguez. I thought Caden had another good stat this week. In Big 12 play since 2017, Oklahoma State is 16 and 13 in Big 12 play since 2017. Iowa State's 19 and 11. So Iowa State's been good in these situations. And uh, another thing that I was kind of mentioning before we came on the air is this phenomenon that they refer to in Ames as Brocktober. Brocktober <laughs> is what they call it for Brock Purdy. Iowa State has an 8-1 and one record in October with Brock Purdy as its primary starting quarterback. Mm. His completion percentage is two percentage points higher in October than it is in the other months. He averages 40 more yards passing in games in October than he does in other months and his primary his record as the primary quarterback in October is eight and one 
In the other two months, it's nine and eight. So Brock Purdy, I, I don't know, Carson. Is it like he only likes it whenever it's 60 to 65 degrees outside? <laughs> he doesn't like it when it's hot and he doesn't like it when it's cold? I guess so. It, it, it's no wonder they don't call it Brock Timber because he loses to Louisiana in the, in the opener right. in September. So I, he, that to me, that kind of sums up his career, Colby. He's so maddening because certain games, like you mentioned in October, he looks like an NFL guy. And then you watch that game against TCU where he literally like threw the ball backwards to TCU for, for a touchdown. It was one of the most hilarious turnovers you'll ever see from a quarterback. And he does have a really high completion percentage over his career, but he has been apt to throw it to the other team. So he's been maddening. And I think that's a big reason why they've lost early season games the last three, four years is I don't know if it's just the October thing or just he's inconsistent. And so I think that's a huge key coming into this game. Can the OSU defense turn him over? Uh, you know, OSU hasn't forced a ton of turnovers this year, Colby. They've just gotten stops on third down. They have like the best third down defense in the country. So I'm, I am interested to see if, you know, Calvin Bundage to me has really picked up right where he left off after missing all of last season coming off the edge. Trace Ford gets after the quarterback. Can they force Brock Purdy into those hilarious <laughs> interceptions that he, he tends to throw is a, is a big question for me. Yeah, and, and by the way, do you know what Brock Purdy's one October loss is as a starter? Uh, would it be to OSU? It was to OSU last year in Ames whenever he had the worst fourth quarter of his career uh, to this point in his young career at Iowa State. And you brought up Charlie Kolar, too. And, and Charlie Kolar, I mean, that dude has got NFL written all over him. He, he's, he's only got 12 catches, 134 yards, and a touchdown this year. But part of the reason that he doesn't have more touchdowns is because the dude draws pass interference penalties. I'm, I'm particularly referencing the OU game, where for whatever reason, five foot eight Buki Radley Hiles kept getting matched up against him. <laughs> that was no hilarious. And had no choice <laughs> but to pull on him and get pass interference penalties. So Kolar is a problem. We talked about it earlier in the week. Maybe Trey Sterling gets some, some cracks at him. Maybe Colby Harvell Peel get some cracks at him but one way or another that is the impact player for Iowa State I think offensively that you got to keep an eye on you know we we rag on OSU for not throwing it to Jelani Woods like if I'm an Iowa State fan and, and Kolar only has 100 yards so far this year I'm like what are we doing on offense we have an NFL tight end who's six foot six who no one can cover without interfering to your point and he only has 130. Maybe it's just a tight end thing in the Big 12. I don't know, but I, yeah. I'm with you. He's a huge, huge matchup problem. And I, I do think Iowa State, they, they know they have to get him the football if they're going to win this game. But do you think OSU's defense can handle uh, Brees Hall? I mean, they've done a really good job so far this year against the run. But he's average, He's leading the Big 12 in rushing with 530 yards. Uh, he's got eight touchdown runs already this year. He, he's a load. And he's an NFL-type running back. Do you think OSU's – I think this is really going to be a huge test for the defensive line and the defensive front. Do you think they can hold up against him? Yeah, this will definitely be the best test so far. You know, Letty Brown for West Virginia, he had some success against Oklahoma State in week two. He, he broke off some decent runs, and that was uh, a good portion of what West Virginia was able to do offensively was give it to Letty Brown and let him run. So uh, I do expect Brees Hall to be a 100-yard rusher. Tomorrow, I, I don't think that Oklahoma State's going to stonewall him into some sort of, you know, 60-yard performance. Uh, I mean, he's a really, really good running back. So, I do think that he'll have some success. I'm looking for Letty Brown's set. Yeah, Letty Brown against Oklahoma State had 26 carries for 104 yards. 
So that's that's four yards of carry, about what I would have expected. Uh, and Brees Hall is a better back than he is. So I would expect a 100-yard day out of him. I, I think for Oklahoma State, the key is just no big plays. D- don't let him break one. You know, if he if he rips off a 12-yarder every now and then because he got the edge, that's fine. But, you know, he's already got a 75-yard touchdown run this year. He's got several more over 20. Those are the things that Oklahoma State can't let happen. Absolutely. And you referenced that Oklahoma game. It was mainly just – him running through tackles. So if OSU can just wrap up and get him to the ground, he should be fine because he's not hes not a, a shake-and-bake type of guy. He's going to run through tackles. So as long as OSU can wrap up, I think they should be able to at least limit him to a, you know, right at 100 yards. But so far this year, Colby, I know, again, all the caveats, they've played West Virginia and Kansas, but OSU is second in the league in, in rushing defense. They're giving up 2.5 yards per carry and only one rushing touchdown this year. So they're second in the league. West Virginia's first, which to me tells me that OSU's running game did pretty well against West Virginia to, with the way uh, uh, L.D. Brown was able to get loose and, and Chuba Hubbard as well there late. So OSU's done well to this point, but this is a much different much different task facing Brees Hall and Iowa State. So uh, let's get to keys of the game, Colby. Uh, what's your key to this game for Oklahoma State? game for Oklahoma State is not to turn the ball over. Spencer Sanders playing his first real football in nearly a calendar year. I mean, he got the series in against Tulsa, but it's been nearly a calendar year since he played real meaningful snaps at quarterback for Oklahoma State. We did see him have some turnover problems last year. I I truly believe that if Oklahoma State takes care of the ball, they are the better team and they will win this game. And I, I think that they'll win and cover if they take care of the ball. Now, if Spencer gets a little loose and a little erratic, or if, gee, I don't know, Chuba Hubbard, who's already put the ball on the ground three times in three games, starts to get some fumbling problems again and and the ball bounces Iowa State's way, I think that's where Oklahoma State could get itself into trouble. How do you lose at home when you're the better team? You turn the ball over. So don't do that, and I think Oklahoma State will be fine. Yep, and I would add that, you know, we we bag on Iowa State for losing to Louisiana, and rightfully so. They gave up two return touchdowns and special teams you do that you're going to lose so don't 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 let Iowa State return the favor against you in special teams which OSU special teams have been good so far this year but for me Colby it's it's can they run the football against Iowa State I mean you go back to the Tulsa the first series against Tulsa they weren't able to run the football that's the last time they had Spencer Sanders it was like a 17 play drive just took forever and they had to settle for a field goal so if they cannot run the football and it turns into a game that they're behind, then you're starting to look at trouble where, you know, Spencer Sanders is dropping back and they know if they know a pass is coming with Spencer Sanders, he becomes so much less dangerous because his legs are such a threat. So can Chuba Hubbard and LD Brown get it going like they did against West Virginia? That to me is the number one key because that's, that's what the Mike Gundy offense is. You can talk about all the receiving talent they've had, all the quarterback talent, OSU football is built on running the ball. Even even back in 2011, they were unbelievable at running the football. So if they can't get to second and short, third and short with the running game, that will spell trouble. So that, that for me, can the offensive line block Jaquan Bailey, who's the best defensive lineman in the league so far this year? That uh, That's my number one key to the game. Yeah, and what I find interesting is for so many years – the key to the game for Oklahoma State would have been, gosh, just get a couple stops. All you need is a couple stops, and you can get your offense back out there and let things go. And, and now we're both sitting here in 2020 saying, gosh, if Oklahoma State can just take care of the ball, run the ball, <laughs> move it down the field, 
that defense because for, for the first time, I don't know, maybe ever, certainly in a long time, it feels like we know what we're going to get out of Oklahoma State's defense. It's predictable. It's really good. And the offense is the total wild card that we have no idea what we're going to get from week to week. So I just – I think it's fascinating kind of the 180 that Oklahoma State football has done this year in terms of offense and defense. It's bizarro world. It's it's 2020 world, right? It yeah. can, that's only appropriate yeah. for 2020. Uh, let's pick the game, Colby. Uh, you want me to go first? Uh, yeah, you go first. I've already got mine locked in, but yeah, you go first. Okay. I mean, I think this is going to be a close game. Obviously the line's three and a half, you know, issues favor. And it's a tough game for me to pick because I do think Iowa state is legit. The Louisiana game, notwithstanding, I think these two teams are very similar in terms of a veteran quarterback, one of the best running backs in the league on each side are really like two of the better defenses in the league. And I, I know we're not used to talking about that with Iowa State and, and Oklahoma State, but it's totally true this year. So they're very similar teams. And so to your point about the turnovers, I, I just think OSU's defense has more playmakers than Iowa State's. I know Jaquan Bailey's great, but I'm talking more in the back end. I just feel like Brock Purdy, despite his high completion percentages, just makes those key interceptions key fumble I just I don't trust him to not turn the ball over so I'm going to pick Oklahoma State uh 38 or no 31 28 a little lower scoring by big 12 standards scoring's down in the league I mean you score 35 points this year you're, you're probably going to win whereas in past years that wasn't the case so I think OSU gets a late turnover and kicks the winning field goal from Alex Hale who's still perfect on the year 31 28 OSU and that's whoever wins this game Colby's in the number one captain seat driving to uh, to Jerry World so I, I'm picking OSU in a nail biter I don't, I think they might be down early but I just I trust OSU's defense more than I trust Brock Purdy that uh yeah we haven't even brought up the Big 12 title game implications and they are huge because whoever wins this game especially for Iowa State because they've already got OU in the rear view too so if they win this game they'll have basically the, the next two best teams in the Big 12 Conference already behind them. Uh, so this game is huge in determining who gets to go to Jerry's world. I've got it at 30 to 24 in favor of Oklahoma State. For those of you doing the math at home, that is three touchdowns and three field goals for Oklahoma State and uh, three touchdowns and a field goal for the Cyclones. Like you said, I think I trust Oklahoma State's defense. I think that they will be able to make it tough on Brock Purdy. I don't think we're going to see the Brocktober phenomenon. You know, he had his breakout as a true freshman in Stillwater when they didn't really know much about him. Kyle Kemp was hurt. Zeb Nolan started that game, got knocked out on the first series. And then Brock Purdy came in and lit Oklahoma State up. 18 of 23 that day for 318 and four touchdowns. He also had 84 rushing yards in that game. The first time seeing the field as a true freshman and Oklahoma state guys came out, you know, AJ green, Mike Gundy, some of the guys on the defense just said, you know, they bring in this true freshman and we thought we were going to light him up and it was the exact opposite. So I don't expect that to, to happen again. It seems like Oklahoma state figured Brock Purdy out a bit last year. So I'll go 30 to 24 uh, and I'll pick the Cowboys to get a big, big win in Stillwater tomorrow afternoon. I love it. I like that pick. I mean, yeah, I mean, Brock Purdy looked like Johnny football in that game from what I remember. He was unbelievable. But uh, no, Colby, I think I think you're right. I didn't oh, go shoot. I remember being in shock in that game because I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, Oklahoma State fans in that game, they already knew that Iowa State was on its backup, Zeb Nolan. 
So then when he goes out of the game and then this other guy comes in, Brock Purdy, and they're like true freshman from Arizona. And I'm like, what now? And, and then you watch that game. And I remember watching that game and like my jaw was on the floor watching this kid that had never played college football do what he was doing. You know, oh, she's had bad luck with backup quarterbacks, Colby. I go back to that Bedlam game in 2013. If Trevor Knight doesn't get hurt, I don't think OU wins that game because he yeah. gets hurt. They go to Kendall Thompson, who threw an interception on his first pass. Then they go to Blake Bell, the, the Bedlam, you know, the Bedlam villain for OSU fans, the Bedlam superhero for OU fans. That's our Come, second. Comes Blake in, looks like Dan Marino. Yeah. The third string quarterback. I, I still to this day say if, if Trevor Knight doesn't get hurt, OU loses that game. And OSU has another big toll championship. So backup quarterbacks have not been kind to yeah, OSU over the Baylor? years. How about whenever Baylor torched Oklahoma State in Stillwater a few years ago with the second or third stringer? Oh, uh, what was his name? Johnson? Chris Johnson? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Torched yeah. Him. He, uh, he went. He transferred to like Houston to be a tight end and was never heard from again. He looked like yeah. he looked like Cam Newton in that game against OSU. Oh yeah, he looked like you know if, if Cam Newton and Vince Young had a baby, then that was the guy who played against <laughs> Oklahoma State in the second half. Oh, uh, so hopefully, uh, hopefully Brock Purdy finishes the game now. The way we're talking, I don't even know who their yeah. backup is anymore. But uh, you want the starter to stay in just for for good vibes. Okay, so those are our picks for the game. One last note here before we get to the uniform preview. Des Bryant, Colby, hasn't played in two years, dealing with that Achilles injury. It appears the, the Baltimore Ravens are looking at bringing him in. I think he has to prove, go through a physical and go through a few uh, training sessions to prove that he's healthy, and then they're going to sign him to the practice squad. But really happy for Des. It's been a long road. I wasn't sure if he was ever going to make it back in the league, but uh, I, was, I was pleased to see that news. Yeah, Des Bryant is arguably my favorite Oklahoma State Cowboy that I've ever watched, which is – I mean, that's high praise because, I mean, I've, I've grown up and lived in an era of just great, great Oklahoma State football. But Des was around when I was probably in my early to mid-teens. And, God, I mean, just watching him go to work. His, his last full season at Oklahoma State, he had almost 1,500 yards, 19 receiving touchdowns. And I, I don't know, Blackman had the better career but Des might have been the better player and just the absolute nonsense that went on with the NCAA. I, I just, I was so, so crushed whenever I, I basically, you know, we thought we had what nine more games to watch Des Bryant as a cowboy. And then it was just over overnight. We never got to see him put on the orange and black again. It was, I mean, to, to this day, that still hurts talking about that still hurts to this day in 2020. Yeah, no, I, to your point about him and Blackman, like, you're right. Blackman had the better career, but Kyle Kyle Porter's been on this this boat for a long time. That that Dez is the best receiver in OSU history. Just his his ceiling in a single game was probably higher than anyone else's, and I, I agree with that. Blackman was unbelievable, but like the way Dez could return punts, the way he could high point a football, his elusiveness. He was he was basically Colby. Like the first time OSU had a player of our you know, of our generation, obviously Barry Sanders, you go through all the, all the greats that have come through OSU, but like Des was like the first time you saw a guy that like could be starting at like LSU at receiver at OSU in a long time. Because even Rashawn Woods, like he, he was a great player, but just like the freak athlete that get, you know, the one that you want to see get off the bus first, that was Des. And, and I was in college when he played too. So you're right. He does have those those memories of when you're a, big, a bigger fan, but 
your, to your point about the NCAA, like I think pro football focus college put out some of his highlights. And I just, I kind of went off about it last night on Twitter. Just, it still amazes me that he lied about a non-violation about training with Deion Sanders, going to his house. He basically lied out of fear and he lied about something that wasn't an NCAA violation. So this is how sanctimonious the NCAA is. I could tell them if I'm an athlete, I found a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. And they're like, that's a lie. You lied to an NCAA investigator, nine games. You suspend them the entire year for lying about something that wasn't even wrong. So that, that to me still blows my mind. And I don't know, just if this was Ohio State, does Des get nine games? I don't know, because it just seems, Colby, there's been case after case with OSU. You go back to the Andy Oliver situation. You go to the basketball situation this year where national basketball writers are openly saying this makes no sense. I don't know. The NCAA screwed over Des, and I, I kind of went off about it. And I was speculating as to how everything went down. And, and Des actually DM'd me on, on Twitter and kind of gave me the lowdown of what happened. And I'm, I'm not going to share exactly what he said, but let's just put it this way, Colby. He, he hasn't forgotten. He's still upset with the NCAA. And I'll just leave it at that because he, he, he was pretty clear about what happened. Yeah, I would love to. I, I hope that at some point he will come out publicly with some sort of tell-all as to what happened. Now he's by no means obligated to do that. And that's just, uh, you know, me wanting more of the story, selfishly wanting more of the details uh, about what went on. But uh, who knows? I'm sure that that's something that's always sat with him. It's always sat with me just as a fan. And just going back to his on-field production, I mean, he was so good with Dallas. He only, he only played 16 games. He was only healthy enough to play 16 games, two seasons in his actual prime. His last year in Dallas, he did, but he wasn't in his prime anymore. 120 receiving yards and 16 touchdowns with Dallas. The dude was just, he was built different. 73 touchdowns in his time in the NFL, nearly 7,500 receiving yards, more than 500 catches. He was just, he was special, man. He was special. And I, I hope that we get to see him in Baltimore throw up the X again. Yeah, that'd be great. Cause you know, Baltimore, obviously one of the best teams in the league. It'd be great to see Des go, go get a ring with, with Baltimore. So hopefully he can prove that he's healthy and, and get back on the field and, uh, hopefully someday get some retribution from the NCAA. Still a crime, what happened back then in, in 2009. Uh, let's get to the uh, uniform preview brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop shop on Campus Corner. Be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Gosh, Colby, we have not done a uniform preview and it feels like two months, but let's, uh, let's get right to it. I, I'll start. Uh, our friend of the show, Justin Southwell, sent me some intel, some, some actual research on the matchups against Iowa State. He says Oklahoma State's uniforms versus Iowa State have been all over the place at first glance, but more recent years have been seeing consistency with gray pants on the road and black jerseys at home. So in the issue of fairness, Colby, I offer that to you, our uniform expert with some research, and OSU has shown to have a little bit of uniform karma. They like to go back to what has worked in the past with wins, so with that in mind, I think they're going to wear white, black, white, and the white helmet being the one my my dad was texting me about that he loves so much with the brand and then the black and orange stripe going down the middle, black jersey, white pants, which I believe 
They have worn in the past. Yes, they have. I've, they've worn that exact combo in the past. That's what I'm going with. Yeah, so I, I initially thought black, and then I remembered Oklahoma State plays on Halloween Day one week from tomorrow, and I think that they're going to wear black at home for Halloween against Texas. And for that reason, I'm going to stay away from black tomorrow. So I'm going to go white, orange, white for tomorrow's game against Iowa State. And I know that they have several variations of the white helmet. They've got just the OSU. They've got the big kind of silhouette white pistol Pete, and they've got the sheriff's badge. I'm going to go with the big white silhouette Pete, angry Pete, on top for the helmet with the orange shirts and the uh, white pants. Oh, okay. They're going traditional combo with an untraditional helmet. I got you. Yeah. I'm, I think they might be saving all black for Texas. I think all black tends to be kind of their, their biggest home game of the year combo. So that's kind of what I'm leaning towards for, for Halloween night. Although you got to wear some orange, right? You got to wear black and orange on Halloween. Don't you think? Yeah, I don't know. They've, they've just gone straight black in the past on Halloween. Uh, I remember, gosh, it's probably been a decade now, but there was a Halloween game against Texas that I think that they were all black and might have even blacked out the stadium, which oh, yeah. probably can't black out the stadium this year because all the seats are orange and there aren't that many people. Um, so I don't know what they'll do. Also, it's not a Halloween night game, which is a little lame. It's afternoon. It's 3 o'clock next Saturday, which is kind of weird. But yeah. I'll always remember the blackout game as the the Earl Thomas game because that's when Texas just destroyed OSU. I think Earl Thomas had like a pick six. <laughs> that's yeah. what I always remember. Yeah, that's when Texas was good. That is when Texas was – God, they used to have so many dudes. They, they used to have so many NFL players. Now they now no one gets drafted out of Austin. It's, it's pretty astonishing. When you think back to a decade ago, if you were watching NFL football on Sunday – how many guys you would see making plays and you're like, Oh, yep. There's a longhorn. And then now, now do the same thing today. There's nobody. Yeah. I, I remember I listened to a podcast leading into the OU Texas game with uh, Michael Griffin who played for the Titans. He had yeah, his, yeah. his twin brother played at Texas and he was just listing off his teammates in Austin. And they was just NFL dude after NFL dude after NFL dude. And it's like, well, no wonder they're not any good anymore. They used to have an NFL defense. And that's why OSU could could never beat Texas back in the day because they were going up against a, a legit NFL caliber defensive line and linebacker and safeties. So, but hopefully Texas stays right where they are because it's fun when when OSU beats them. Uh, one more interesting thing, Colby, before we get out of here, uh, I don't know if you have one or not, but my one interesting thing is Matthew Wolf was paired with Tiger Woods yesterday, and I watched a lot of it on the PGA Tour Live. And Wolf beat him by seven shots, but it was just so cool to like, you could just tell like Wolf and his caddy, Nick Heinen, who also played at OSU. You know, when Tiger was on the tee, they were just kind of like, they look like kids in a candy store. I cannot imagine what that would be like. Cause you know, I know Wolf's a big time PGA tour golfer, but he's still a kid that grew up watching Tiger Woods. And you know, Nick Heinen did as well. That had to be just a total thrill to be paired with Tiger Woods for an entire round, playing at Sherwood, no less. That had to be a total blast. Yesterday afternoon, and yeah, I think they say, they're say they saying Matt Wolf's mom lives like 10 minutes away. George Gankis, his swing coach, lives 10 minutes in the other direction from Sherwood. He's played Sherwood hundreds of times growing up out in California, and then he gets paired with Tiger. And um, obviously anybody who watched it knows Tiger did not play well at all. He was one of the worst in the field. 
yesterday, but Matt Wolf got off to a bad start, and I thought that there were some nerves early. I mean, he had a, a little flip wedge in from 70 yards on the on the first hole right out of the gate, missed the green, had to make like a 10-footer for par, but he got on a little roll on the front nine. He started eagle, birdie, birdie, first three holes of the front nine, and uh, was kind of off and running and turned it into a good day. So that was pretty cool from Wolf. Uh, my one interesting thing, Carson, is college football. And I, it's broad for a reason, because as I pull up the games this week, it, it feels like a real college football Saturday. You have to scroll for a while to see all the games, because guess who's back? The Big Ten. Ohio State and Nebraska <laughs> is tomorrow. There's some other Big Ten games going on. Obviously, Michigan, Minnesota is a good game. So Big Ten conference matchups are back. Alabama's at Tennessee. I mean, just almost everybody, Baylor and Texas, OU and TCU, West Virginia and Texas Tech, Kansas State and Kansas, all 10 teams in the Big 12 are playing. It is just, it, it's real life college football. Carson, I, I don't even know what to think at this point. I know. It's great to have a full slate because last Saturday was a total drag with no OU and OSU and then really no games of note besides Georgia and Alabama. Uh, I'm going back to the well on my best bet of the weekend, Colby. I'm going back Kansas State over Kansas. They're laying 20 and a half. Surely K-State can beat Kansas by three touchdowns. I know our best bets were terrible last week. I had a bad beat with Kansas returning a kickoff. There's no Puka Williams in this game for Kansas. So I'm my best bet of the weekend is K-State over Kansas again. I'm, I'm going back to the well. You took mine, which I probably should have anticipated. <laughs> I probably should have anticipated you going back. Okay, to I'll switch mine if you want that one. No, no, no. I've got a backup. I've got okay. a backup. You can keep it. Uh, and I'll stay in the Big 12 as well. I think that what TCU does is not going to work tomorrow against an OU team that I think found itself offensively a little bit against Texas. OU's a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I really like getting it just on this side of a touchdown, you know, they go out and win 34, 27. That's a cover. So uh, I, I know that this is the pistols firing podcast and everyone hates OU, but I'm going to take them minus the six and a half tomorrow at TCU. Uh, as I think, OU starts to get a little healthier. They get some guys back and they've started to figure some things out. Isn't that line just bizarre? Why is it so low? Shouldn't OU uh, be favored almost, by 10? And that's why it was my backup is because the line is quirky. So I think OU covers, but the line is is kind of a little bit fishy. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm still confident OU wins that game by at least a touchdown. I mean, it, it seems like Vegas is begging you to bet on OU with that line. So that, that's always worrisome. Like that. but, but I'm with you. I don't, I don't think there's any way TCU keeps up with OU in that game. They're just – TCU's already lost twice at home. OU's trying to get on a roll, and I just think they outscore them by, by 10 to 14 points. So I like yeah. that bet as well. Which probably spells disaster for our best bets because uh, we're 0 for on the season, 0 for 1. But hopefully we'll get back on the schneid. So, Colby, looking forward to this exciting game against Iowa State. Huge game. Enjoy it, Cowboy fans. And, Colby, we will get back with you on, uh, on Monday, hopefully talking about an OSU win. Yes, sir. Have a good weekend. Go Pokes.